Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to this special edition of Prophecy Today. We have two specials for you today. I want you to stand by because in the next 90 minutes, you're going to listen to a broadcast that is coming to you from our studios on board the cruise ship Navigator of the Sea. We're in the midst of the Mediterranean on our way to the city of Rome. We've been in Athens, Greece. We went to Kusadasi, Turkey, which is the biblical site of Ephesus, stopped by the Isle of Crete, and we're on our way now to Rome. It's been a great time of learning for those who are traveling with us on this special journey of Paul's ministry throughout Asia and Europe. Today we have a special edition of Prophecy Today, as I mentioned, with a focus on the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Joining us on this broadcast will be Rabbi Yoel Karen. He'll be talking about the pattern of the Ezekiel temple to be built by the Jewish people. Gershon Solomon will come along. He went to the Ark of the Covenant, and he has the cornerstone for the next temple. He wants to set it on the Temple Mount in order to start construction of the next Jewish temple. Yehuda Glick is going to join us. He headed up the Temple Institute. They're the ones preparing to build the next temple. Rabbi Chaim Richman is going to talk about the location of the next temple, and he's going to tell us it will be in the Garden of Eden. More explanation on that in just a moment. Rabbi Nachman Kahana is the man who actually started the study that would cause these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to start preparing to build the next temple. By the way, Rabbi Kahana has his priestly garment. It was the first one made for those who say they're qualified to be priest. He said he's ready to put on his priestly garment and report for duty on the Temple Mount. That's upcoming at the bottom of the hour right here on Prophecy Today. In just a moment, we're going to talk to the lady who was our guide in Athens, Greece, a conversation with Jimna, our tour guide. But first, I had a conversation with our tour guide in Turkey at the ancient biblical site of Ephesus. I'm here in the city of Ephesus. This is the city that the Apostle Paul came and established the church here in Asia Minor. Paul had a very successful ministry here in the city of Ephesus. In fact, it says in the Word of God in chapter 19 of the book of Acts that when Paul preached here, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ went throughout the province of Asia. That includes what would ultimately become the seven churches of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Fred is with us. Now that's his anglicized name. Uh, Fred, give us your real Turkish name. Özgür is my real Turkish name. Now that's why we call him Fred. (laughs) His name actually means freedom and everybody's nicknamed him Fred. This is an opportunity for people to walk back some 2,000 years to the time when the Apostle Paul and later the Apostle John would have ministered in this particular location. There are thousands of people from the, around the world that come here, aren't there, Fred? Yes, there are. Uh, this is a major city, major ancient city. This was the capital city of the Asian province of the Roman Empire. You know what amazes me about this particular site? As I have traveled across the world, I've seen many archaeological sites, but this is probably the most well-preserved archaeological site any place in the world, and the people can almost look at the remains here and picture the the buildings, uh, the Colosseum, the theater that would have been here. 
Yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's one of the longest excavations uh, of Turkey. Uh, the archaeologists have been excavating the site for more than a hundred years now, and every year they keep on finding uh, other things. Of course, uh, in its heyday, the population of Ephesus was a was quarter of a million people, and throughout history, it's always been a very crowded and a very popular city. So it's not surprising to see it crowded even today. The understanding that I have of the goddess that was here was Diana, and the other names would have been Artemis and the actual person that it's really, I believe, talking about would have been Semiramis of the Babylonian times, but the temple of Diana was here. And this is the statues that we see of the multi-breasted woman, is that correct? Yes, exactly. That shows fertility of the goddess. Uh, the temple built for Artemis, or it was called Diana in the Roman period, it actually was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Where we're standing here at the theater that Alexander the Great would have built about 300 years before the birth of Christ, I see a road that extends, it looks like, into the woods. But am I correct, that's where the Aegean Sea was, and it was a port city at the time when Paul came here. Of course it was. Uh, there is a river in this area. That river silted up the harbor of Ephesus. So the border of the Aegean Sea is about four miles of the ancient city today uh, because it's the silt of the river. Uh, but it was a very important port town. And the street that we're looking at is called the Harbor Street because it was the promenade of the city that took the sailors from the harbor first to uh, the fountain and the theater and to the other parts of the city actually. Now, when Paul was here, he preached an uproar happened in this city. We're standing here at the theater where how many people can be seated in this theater? Uh, this is a big theater. This is one of the biggest theaters of Asia Minor. This has a capacity around 25,000 people, actually. And when Paul was here, probably 25,000 of the city of Ephesus would have come here because of the silversmith Demetrius uh, was very much concerned about losing his livelihood if indeed Christianity was to take over this part of the world. So it was quite an uproar 2,000 years ago. Uh, it was. One of the main incomes of the city uh, was actually making the small uh, replicas, silver replicas of the uh, Temple of Artemis to make the uh, silver replicas of the statue of the deity. And Demetrius uh, and the other silversmiths thought that they were going to lose business if Christianity took over. So the things that Paul was pre preaching about was against uh, their business. Uh, that's why they gathered in front of the library and they marched to this area where the theater stands and they wanted to, I think, lynch uh, Apostle Paul, but he was a Roman citizen. Uh, so that's the reason why uh, he was asked by the elderly of the city to leave the city. When we think about Ephesus, it's in and just outside the city of Kushadasi, uh, which is quite a tourist area here in the southwestern corner of modern-day Turkey, right on the Aegean Sea coast. But Turkey itself is quite a bustling Islamic nation, is it not? Yes, uh, technically 98% of the population of Turkey is Muslim, but this is a secular and democratic republic uh, since 1923. We have secular laws, but the majority of Turkey is Muslim. 
And am I understanding that Taya Bertigan, who was at one time the mayor of Istanbul, removed from that position by the military, who considered themselves the custodian of the Islamic faith here, but then established a political party, ran, had the constitution changed so he could become the prime minister, and then install one of his best friends, Abdullah Gul, as the president of the country. Is he somewhat of a man who has a desire to become the pan-Islamic leader of the entire Islamic world? He has a lot of supporters uh, in the country, and some of the laws have been changed, but of course Turkey plays a leading role uh, for the countries that are in the Middle East, uh, because this is the only secular state that the majority of the population is Muslim, a strong ally for the United States for a long time. Uh, it plays a leading role uh, in United Nations and also in NATO. But, of course, the political leaders have desires to become the leaders of this area. This area, if you ever come over here, you see that it's very fertile. It's a very prosperous area. The soil is rich, and that, therefore, Turkey is a self-sufficient country. I think everybody would like to be the leader of this beautiful country and of this great nation. I've been noticing that with the election of an Islamic leader, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, there in Egypt, Mohammed Morsi. He's developed a relationship with your prime minister and is somewhat following the model that your prime minister set when he was able to take the leadership of this country. And so there looks like there's going to be some type of a coalition between these two nations, at least here in the Middle East, but additional nations have a relationship with Turkey as well, do they not? Of course, we are a NATO member, uh, first of all, and there are nations who like to uh, be allies uh, with Turkey. Geopolitically, this is a very important location. Uh, Turkey, as a cliche saying, is a bridge between Asia and Europe. Uh, it's, a, it's a peninsula from Asia to Europe, actually. In one side, it keeps the traditional. On the other side, it's open to the West. It's a very important ally to the United States. Uh, and uh, we are here, I think, to play the leadership uh, role of the countries that are uh, in North Africa and in Middle East. So this is, we're trying to be a, a link uh, with the Western world and uh, the countries of Middle East, actually. I know that Turkey's had a desire to become a member state of the European Union. Has that faded from the ambition for the leadership of Turkey? Well, uh, we've always been a part of Europe since the common market. I would say uh, the support to become a member of the European Union is becoming less uh, each and every year. Uh, Europe should be united, and I personally believe that Turkey should be a part of it. But for those that uh, that interest is fading, why is that the case? I think it's the economy of Europe. Uh, the major European countries are unfortunately paying the uh, debt of uh, the smaller European countries. So it's simple math, basically. Simple math. That's, <laughs> that's the bottom line as far as that situation, that economic crisis taking place over in the European Union. Fred, thank you so much for leading our people. Uh, you've been a blessing to them, giving your knowledge to them, explaining these archaeological remains, and thank you for spending time with me and helping me to have a better understanding of Turkey as well. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure for me. Thank you. 
We'll take a break and we'll come back and talk with our tour guide who helped us in our visit to Athens, Greece. I'll be talking from Mars Hill in Athens. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8, that's 877-674-3298, or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm on board the cruise ship Navigator of the Sea. We're in the midst of the Mediterranean on our way to Rome, Italy. We'll be two days in Rome. We'll conclude our trip with some of the finest people from across America who have joined us on this cruise, which has taken us to the port cities of Athens, Greece, Kusadasi, Turkey, which is the biblical site of Ephesus. We stopped by Crete, now on our way back to Rome, and we're going to be touring for a couple of days in the city of Rome. This is a wonderful cruise. It's going to the locations where the Apostle Paul had great ministry. We're going to do this again in the future. We'd love to have you come along and go with us. Now I'm going to have a conversation with Jimna. She was our guide when we were in Athens. We went to the Parthenon. We then went to Mars Hill. And I stood atop Mars Hill. It was pretty windy there. There's going to be a lot of wind noise in my conversation. We tried to take out the parts that were so windy you couldn't understand what we're saying. But I think what she has to say is going to be so informative, you'll be able to put up with a little bit of wind noise. So right now, here's my conversation with our guide. Guide Jimna in Athens. I'm standing here atop Mars Hill, looking up at the Pantheon and where the Temple of Diana would have stood. We're looking down at the marketplace, the Agora, and from this vantage point, we're looking over in modern-day Athens as well. Uh, we have been touring here in Athens, going back some 3,000 years, to see what has been the 
headquarters of world philosophy, of world opinion for so many centuries. A young lady who has been traveling with us, our guide, Jim Ma, is here with me. And I just wanted to talk with her about the people. They are eager to see these ancient ruins, and it helps them to go back in past and understand the cultures even of today. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely true. And Athens has always been one of the uh, top-rated popular destinations, primarily because of what Athens has left us regarding the past, the cultural past, the cultural legacy and heritage. Now, this is not only true today, but in ancient times, it was a similar type city that attracted people from all over the world. Yes, it's true. Athens uh, attracted, really, crowds, uh, people from all over the world uh, coming here in order to join, participate in the festivities in honor of Athena. Festivities that were held once every four years' time. So the fact that the city has lived from tourism uh, has been always a reality, back then and, of course, today. Who was Athena? Athena was uh, the goddess that protected Athens throughout the ancient times. Uh, and even later on when the Romans came and they were, you know, in charge, they took over ancient Greece, uh, they kept Athena as the patron goddess of the city, but uh, simply they named her as uh, Minerva. So Athena, back in the ancient Greek times, Minerva during the Roman era. When Paul would have come here after traveling into Europe from Asia, where he was restricted from preaching the gospel, he came into Europe. He went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Thessaloniki, I guess. Thessaloniki, you Thessaloniki, yes. correct. <laughs> and then he came into the area of Athens, and here he had the confrontation with those philosophers and he approached them trying to start on their level by talking about the fact uh, that uh, he was going to talk to them about the unknown God. Do we have any remnant of that particular statue? No, unfortunately, because of um, not only time passing, but primarily because of uh, the invasions uh, that uh, Athens had to um, withdrew uh, in the 3rd and 4th centuries AD, not really much has been left, uh, neither of the ancient marketplace where the shrine, the temple, the statue existed. The only evidences left uh, are the remains of uh, probably what we describe today as an altar dedicated to the unknown god. But it's uh, an unpleasant reality that of what the city was of the ancient times, besides certain big monuments, not really much. The ancient agora, the marketplace, is only a very small portion where the shrine, the temple or the statue stood and existed. If indeed this is the location of Mars Hill that Paul would have spoken from, why would all the philosophers have met up here? Why would this have been the location for Paul to give his famous sermon? Because uh, this rock, although it's uh, pretty steep and quite uneven, uh, offers primarily a nice view to all the crucial pagan sites of Athens. First of all, uh, we, are, we have views down to the Agora, to the marketplace. From up here we can see the Acropolis, what was the place of worship for those times, for the ancient Greek and Roman times, with the Parthenon standing on top of the Temple of Athena. And we have also views to the gathering place of the Athenian assembly in the 5th century BC, the hill of Pnika, or Pnix as it is known to. 
So we are in the crossroads of really important sites of uh, the pagan past of the city. Now, when we talk about the pagan past, what about the pagan present? Is that the case? We hear so much about the euro crisis that's going on in the entire European Union and somewhat of a focus here on Greece and in particular Athens and the demonstrations. Talk to me about that. Give us the real truth behind what has been taking place. As you mentioned, data about not only Greece's issue, but uh, it's of many different European countries, even countries that were known for the stable, you know, strong and stable economy. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I have to admit that the negative publicity, it hasn't been very, a very, you know, busy tourist season. And if you want my honest opinion, it's um, a true over-exaggeration. Because Athens, and as you have already experienced it, that, and I'm not saying something different, Athens is a very safe city. It's a very hospitable city. And um, it has always been, a, you know, a city of challenges, as I say, a great cosmopolitan center. So I kindly suggest that uh, you don't really hear. My advice is don't actually hear what uh, it is printed or what it is reported. Athens, uh, that is a very beautiful city to be visited and of course to spend time here. It has not been easy for the Athenians, for better for the citizens of the big Greek cities. The fact that uh, still we are in session, you know, the last four years now, we are in session. And um, the fact that also Athens is among the expensive cities in the world, it's pretty controversial. You have always lower and lower the wages and pensions, but on the other hand, prices, rates have not really been affected. And they have been pretty expensive and up. The world is watching this as, in fact, this economic crisis is not only here in Athens and Greece, but as you said, the European Union, in America as well, and around the world. We've enjoyed so very much. You're very knowledgeable of uh, the history of this particular location. And standing here on Mars Hill is just such a, a special blessing to me to be able to talk with you. Thank you so very much for participating in this broadcast with us. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you for coming to Athens. You know, as we stop to think about it, both Athens and Ephesus have a great prophetic significance. Athens was the head of the Greek Empire when all of the city-states were united. Alexander the Great came out of Macedonia. At 21 years of age, he took a ragtag military operation, and he started traveling across the world. In Ephesus, in fact, he stopped by there. He built the theater where all the activities took place in Acts chapter 19, when Paul was under such pressure because he preached the gospel, and many of the people of Ephesus got saved. Alexander the Great concluded his travels, and he defeated the Medo-Persian Empire to establish the Grecian Empire, where he was headquartered in the city of Babylon in modern-day Iraq, 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad. It was in that location where Alexander the Great died at 32 years of age, and his kingdom was then divided into four parts, north, south, east, and west. The northern part and the southern part, which would be geographically modern-day Syria and modern-day Egypt, were the ones who became powerhouses in that period of the Grecian Empire. The other two, east and west, 
were nebulous entities. But when you look at the Word of God in the book of Daniel chapter 11, you see starting in verse 40 that the king of the north and the king of the south, that would be Syria and Egypt, will make that first move against the Jewish state of Israel as the Middle Eastern nations align themselves to try to destroy the state of Israel, wiping the Jewish state right off the face of the earth. In Ephesus, we understood that this was the scene of Paul's greatest ministry. In fact, it says in chapter 19, verse 10 of the book of Acts, that during Paul's ministry here, he reached the entire province of Asia. That would include those cities which would become the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. This is very significant as you look at the end-of-time scenario that can be found in God's Word. Well, thank you for joining us for this first portion of Prophecy Today. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will begin our special edition of Prophecy Today, focused on the next temple that will be in Jerusalem. That's two minutes away. Stand by for the information that will help you understand we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church, and I believe the most significant sign is the preparations to build the next temple. That's all ahead. We'll be talking with Rabbi Yoel Karen first, right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. So good to have you along on this special edition of Prophecy Today, a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. This is a program that goes along with the release of our brand new DVD project, which Jim Jr., our oldest son, was involved in directing as we put it all together. It's entitled, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. We integrate footage from a 20-year-old documentary and the latest information about what is happening in preparations to build the next temple. Jim, as I think about this production that you did, and you did a very good job, son, but I thought it was a real personal touch when the children there came up to the Temple Institute and Rabbi Glick, who was the former head of the Temple Institute, came out to greet them and encourage them in their thoughts about preparing to build the next temple. 
It sure was, Dad. You know, as I'm doing this uh, videotaping, I'm out there, and uh, I had uh, talked to Rabbi Glick ahead of time, and we had done our portions. And with a video camera, you always have to be ready for the unexpected to take place. And sure enough, it did. As I was standing there, and all these young boys from the settlements came up with their their, their kippahs, their yarmulkes on top of their heads, their prayer shahs, uh, their tassels coming out the bottom of their shirts as they were getting ready to go into the Temple Institute. I said, Rabbi, why don't you talk to these young kids? And sure enough, he took it. And those kids, they looked at him as they as if they were looking at a former prophet or, you know, one of the former former kings of Israel. They were just so excited, and they were listening to him as he talked to them. You're going to be able to see that conversation that Rabbi Yehuda Glick had with the children there at the Temple Institute if you get a copy of Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. Hang around for the end of the broadcast. We have a very special offer to tell you about on this brand new documentary on the preparations to build the next temple. Rabbi Yehuda Glick is the former director of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. He's a man who has been responsible for guiding the preparations to get everybody ready and everything ready for the building of the next temple. They have been preparing the implements, replicating those from uh, what they know about them in God's Word, the pattern for making all of these implements, and also in preparation to train uh, the priest to do the priestly duties. Rabbi Yehuda Glick, thank you very much for joining us, my dear friend. Hi, Jimmy, and shalom from Jerusalem, and shalom to all of your listeners. Thank you so very much. Talk to me a few moments about the history of the Temple Institute. You were responsible for directing that organization in the very tedious task of preparing to build the next temple. Talk to me about its history. Okay. Uh, first of all, it really was a privilege for me. I really re- re- refer to it as a great privilege. Uh, I've been running the Institute. I was director of the Institute for five years. Uh, after I... Uh, Resigned from the uh, government, I was the, uh, on a very high level of uh, mission in the government, uh, and I resigned due to what the, what the Israeli government had decided to leave uh, and to take apart the Jewish life in uh, the in the Gaza district. But now today we're talking about the uh, temple and the Temple Institute. The Temple Institute was established uh, almost 30 years ago by Rabbi Israel Ariel, who uh, himself was a paratrooper who took part in the reuniting of the city of Jerusalem in 1967 after the Six-Day War. And uh, he established the Institute 30 years ago after he understood that many people mistakenly thought that uh, the uh, temple should be something that should be, we should wait passively to fall down miraculously from heaven. And uh, since he had uh, actually studied and, and read the book and, 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 and understood that the message of the, te- of the book is that we don't sit and wait. We actually are commanded, uh, obliged to do. And he began the actual preparations for the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, he started from nothing uh, 30 years ago. And today we can say that happily we have prepared tens of different vessels ready to be used, just waiting for the permission to get to, 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 to ready to build. And uh, these vessels are uh, were made and prepared exactly according to the demand of the Torah, uh, according to the law of how to prepare them, and they're all ready to be used. 
I many times with uh, some pilgrims, Christian pilgrims from the United States, and in fact in many other locations around the world, have been able to visit the Temple Institute. There I've seen the Mizrak, which is the item that holds the sacrificial blood, uh, the altar of incense. I've uh, seen the table of showbread. All the preparations seemingly are made. Now, can I get you to confirm that? Is that correct? Everything that has to be in place for the temple to be built is prepared at this time. It's true that presently we do have the minimum needed and beyond that. Therefore, we are now putting a lot of emphasis on uh, blueprints, architectural plans, and we're putting a lot of emphasis on educational work. So, So that is the minimum needed we have. But, the, but, of course, there's a lot still a lot more to do, and therefore the Temple Institute is not wasting its time, and they're working, and there's a lot of research and a lot of study and a lot of preparations. The, the basic minimum needed is ready. We can go ahead and start tomorrow morning. But uh, there's still a lot of work to go. On a recent documentary that I produced for the purpose of letting the world know how everything is being prepared to build the next temple on the Temple Mount, I had an interview with you, and you made the statement that the temple will be on the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah of biblical times, which you referred to as the original site of the Garden of Eden. Do you believe the Temple Mount is that original site for the Garden of Eden? Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to say, tell, tell, tell your listeners that you really, uh, as far as what I can see, you did a really excellent job in that film that you prepared. Uh, but what I can tell you is that, yes, of course, the Garden of Eden is described in the book of Genesis. According to our tradition, the Temple Mount, the center of the Temple Mount, has the foundation stone of the world. And therefore, we definitely believe that this is the, that, that is the location which God uh, has has appointed us and has uh, obliged us to build a temple there. And that is because, once again, the temple is not a building. The temple is as much more than just a building. It's the actual new message of the, of, the, of the book to the world. There can be communication between man and God. That communication was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden had man, Adam and Eve, not uh, committed the sin. And therefore, the place to, to reconnect to recommunicate, to be able to bring something to God and to be able to receive from God, all of that can take place in the place chosen by God, which means that the highest level of bringing something to God, bringing an offering, bringing first fruits, where, where Abraham brings his son, expressing the fact that he's ready to give anything to God, that takes place on the Temple Mount. And of course, the other, the, the highest level of receiving from God, which means that a person who comes to the temple recharges his spiritual batteries, recharges his spiritual life by reconnecting, by receiving, highest level of receiving with each and every one of your five senses, smelling the infants, uh, hearing the music of the, of the Levitical choir, and seeing and hearing and listening and, and smelling. You connect to God with all of your five senses. This can be done in the place where God chose to create the world, because the very, very fact, the very fact that we can talk about creation, which by God, which is something that's totally, totally non-materialistic, creates a materialistic world and does it so that man can communicate, as God says in the Book of Genesis, 
You should worship me and preserve the world for me. And that is our job. Our job is to worship God and to preserve the world for God. The message of that comes out from the Garden of Eden. The message of that comes out from the Kruvim. The Kruvim, which are those, the two angels, which are standing in the Holy of Holies. And they are also standing at the entrance of the Garden of Eden. So this is the highest level of connection between man and, uh, and God. And this can be done in the temple, and this is the message of the Temple Mount. Just a few moments ago, you talked about the menorah. I know on the relief of the Arch of Titus in the city of Rome, uh, there is a depiction of the menorah, and tradition says that the Romans, after they defeated uh, the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem and devastated their temple in 70 A.D., supposedly took the menorah back to Rome. As I understand it, they have replicated that menorah, and it's right there in the city of Jerusalem, even as we speak. Yes, yes, it is. Of course, as I said, the menorah has been re-prepared exactly according to many of of the uh, archaeological findings, and including the the famous gate in Rome. And this is uh, what is exactly uh, we have prepared, made of gold, ready to be used, as I said. It's exactly what is described. We're talking about it. 100 pound of pure 24 karat gold, six feet tall. We're talking about a menorah exactly prepared. It's based on years of research. We have a 300-page book of all the research which we had prepared before preparing the menorah, and the menorah is there exactly with all the decorations needed as described in the book, ready to be used. And uh, we hopefully, you know, we're celebrating Hanukkah in less than a month. We hope that we will be able to uh, actually light the menorah on the temple. Uh, we wish and we pray to God until if he thinks the time is ready, we will be ready. We, in terms of the menorah, which is one of the major vessels, it is ready. Rabbi Yehuda Glick, who was the former director of the Temple Institute, now working on making the people of the world, both the Jewish people and the Gentile people, aware of the coming temple on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Thank you very much, Rabbi Glick. Shalom from Jerusalem. Rabbi Yuel Karen now joins us. He's another personality of people, Jewish people in Israel, who are working very diligently at the task of preparing to build that next temple on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Rabbi Karen, Jews in Jerusalem are preparing to build the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And as I understand it, they're following the pattern that was laid out by Maimonides, the great Jewish sage who wrote many, many years ago a great treatment on Herod's temple. And and is that the pattern they're following right now? And if that be the case, why are they following that pattern? Pretty much, because we don't have any other temple to go off of. You know, we, we know how the second temple was built. We have extensive, extensive details that were, that were written on it by people who saw it themselves. So, so that we, we can build. Ezekiel's temple has never been built. In fact, when they built the second temple, they tried to incorporate elements of Ezekiel's vision that they thought they could more or less understand. What they didn't understand, they left alone. So it was sort of a, sort of a mix, the, the second temple, Herod's temple. So we're, we're working off of that same pattern because, I mean, to tell you the truth, Ezekiel's temple would require topographical changes to the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount itself. It's much more 
vast and expansive than, than any temple that's ever been built. Uh, so so there's, there's really there's no way that we can, with our own hands, build the temple that's described by Ezekiel. We're working on, on what we can do. As I understand it, and I think it was you who said it in a conversation that we had before, that basically when Zerubbabel returned to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity with about 50,000 Jewish people, they did somewhat of a, a simple building of a worship center there on the Temple Mount. They began very simply, and then Herod came along and refurbished it for many years later down the line. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. When they first came back, they built an altar. That was the first thing they did. And then the first structure that was actually there, the first temple, was actually made of wood. And uh, you, you can actually see this not only in our own historical records, but you can see it in the prophets. In the book of Haggai, he's, they've already got the altar set up, but they won't build the temple. They don't want to move. They're saying the time isn't right. And the prophet is sitting there prophesying against the Jewish people at that time. He's saying, he says, go get wood and build the house, and I will accept it. So the first structure there was wood, and then there was a very simple stone edifice placed around it, and then Herod came along and expanded it. Now, indeed, will there ultimately one day be a Ezekiel temple, the one that's described in Ezekiel 40 to 46, 202 verses, detailed information, and you've already said how different it is from the other temples. They tried to incorporate some of Ezekiel's temple in Herod's temple. That was not possible for them to understand. But will there eventually be an Ezekiel temple on the Temple Mount? Without doubt, there will be. It's not for you and I to know every how and why of everything. I only have to know one thing, is that God Almighty's word never returns void. He promised it, he'll work the details out. I don't know exactly how it will happen, but I know for sure it will happen. As soon as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow. <laughs> That's for sure, I can guarantee that as well. The promise is there in the Davidic Covenant. Uh, there seems to be, though, one little bit of a problem as it relates to building the temple on the Temple Mount. All the preparations, all the men have been trained, etc., etc. Uh, but what about that Dome of the Rock? Must it go before you put the temple up? It has to go. As, as I've said before, number one, I, can't, I have no authority and I have no desire to, to create a new Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies... Where the, where the high priest must go in once a year, this, the very center of the entire temple complex is sitting under that dome. And that's a fact. And, and I know that people have all sorts of wild theories that they've created, but that is an archaeological, historical, and architectural fact that it was there, and you can't get it to work out to be anywhere else. I've, st I've studied this for many, many years, and a lot of money has gone into to researching this subject. It's there. I wouldn't want it anywhere else. And even if I could build it somewhere else, there's no way that I'm going to have some blasphemous Islamic shrine sitting next to it. There's no partnership with darkness. There's no covenant with evil. Rabbi, are the Jewish people, the man in the street there in Jerusalem and throughout all of Israel, in fact, are the Jewish people ready for a temple on the Temple Mount? Do they want one, or what's the status? Look, sir, if you asked me this two or three years ago, I would have said, sadly, absolutely not. There are only a few crazies, if you if you will, that uh, that would want such a thing. But uh, it was just last year, I believe, that a uh, a poll was taken by uh, I forget which organization, which one of the polling organizations did it, and around half of the population, just over half, now say they want a temple. 
So that, this was a major shock to, to me. As much as I want to hear such a thing, I never imagined that I would hear it coming that fast. So the reality can change. It can change overnight. God has his way of working. Is there any effort to try to excite the Jewish people about putting up a temple on the Temple Mount? I know that uh, you are working very closely with some other personalities involved in preparations to build the temple. Are you working to try to excite the body politic of Israel and the Jewish people around the world for the temple to be built there in Jerusalem? We recently had a temple conference at the Great Synagogue in Jerusalem, which is the it's sort of the, the showpiece synagogue for the entire capital of Israel, and the place was packed out. I, I was I was so so happy to see it. The place was packed out with people to come and hear lecture after lecture, and explanations. And so, a widely publicized event, heavily attended by across the religious spectrum. You know, some people don't realize that there are some of the more conservative elements of of the religious public in Israel. They say we can't move to do things like building a temple. We'll wait for the Messiah to come, and he'll do it for us. But I'm telling you, it was heavily attended by people all across the religious world, and even non-religious people were there. So, yeah, the, the, the public relations work is going on. It's working. People are getting turned on. The, uh, the, the, the Temple Institute's uh, vessels that go out on public display, like the huge golden menorah, this is now just... It's not some sort of a curiosity now. It's, it's a standard. This is a tourist attraction of Jerusalem. People come to see it. So it's putting it in the minds, putting it in the hearts. It's there. It's becoming the consensus and not the, uh, the fringe. Rabbi Karen, down through the centuries, since the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., there have been efforts to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. But in our present time, are we the closest we've ever been? And by saying that, then, are you thinking that maybe in your lifetime the temple will stand in Jerusalem? I believe so. You know, I can't look. I can't. I can't predict anything. I'm. I'm not one of those prophets that I study every day. But uh, I can tell you that, as much as I've heard people predict and, and claim and say that they've got it worked out and they've read the scriptures and they've figured things out and Gog and Magog, I, I'm telling you, I, from what I see, there's, there's no denying that something is right around the corner and something big. Like I always say, we, we've read ahead in the book, we know how it turns out, but I used to not be so sure that I would see these things in my lifetime, and now my, my opinion is rapidly changing. Well, Rabbi Yoel Karen, he's one of the personalities preparing to build the next temple. And, Rabbi, we so appreciate your participation in this special edition of Prophecy Today as we focus on the building of the next temple. Thank you, my dear friend. We'll talk again down the line. God bless. Right now, we bring Gershon Solomon to these microphones as we continue this special edition of Prophecy Today, looking at all the preparations for the next temple to be built in the city of Jerusalem. Since 1991, I've had the honor of being able to know Gershon Solomon. He heads up an organization called Temple Mount Faithful. Uh, they have found and prepared the cornerstones that would be used to start construction on the temple, on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. Gershon, thank you for joining us today on this special edition of Prophecy Today. We're talking about uh, the temple and the building of the temple on the Temple Mount. In essence, there needs to be a cornerstone, and you actually have a cornerstone that has been 
prepared by Halakhic law for the purpose of starting the construction. Is that correct? That's correct. And, um, you know, um, actually we have now two cornerstones uh, for the third temple. Each one of them is weight uh, six and a half ton, um, marble stones, and uh, they were prepared, as you said, according to the biblical law, yes. No metal um, was used to prepare them, uh, but uh, they were prepared by diamond, um, as I said, according to the biblical law and the word of God. And um, I can tell uh, through you on the first time that we are starting shortly to prepare um, uh, the other stones for the uh, building of the temple. And uh, this is really an exciting time. You know, um, Israel is now really um, experiencing maybe the greatest time in our history, time of redemption time of, of uh, redemption of the people and the land of Israel, and Jerusalem in the midst of it, the capital of Israel, the city of God, and um, uh, uh, this is uh, God's timing to rebuild the temple of God. And, and uh, uh, this will be actually the climax of this uh, great time in the history of Israel, and I, and I would say in the history of all the world, because um, the rebuilding of the temple will open uh, not only a great uh, spiritual time in the history of Israel, but in the history of all the world and all the mankind. You know, the, the, there is a, a, an exciting uh, prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, Verse 1 to 4, and this prophecy is uh, um, uh, speaking about our time when um, the God of Israel is saying to us, in the last days will be um, uh, rebuild the, the house of the Lord on the highest of the mountains and be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will flow to it, to Jerusalem, to the city of God, to uh, the God of Jacob, to learn his ways, and Torah will go out of Jerusalem to all the nations. And uh, then, give attention to what the God is saying to us, then will come a real uh, a peace to uh, Israel and to all the world. All the nations will change their weapons to agriculture um, vessels, and uh, they will no more learn war, and a real peace will cover all the earth. This is the timing of the end time, um, uh, God's temple. And from the earlier times, Exodus 25:8, build me a temple, and I will dwell among you, is uh, uh, calling uh, God to Israel. In the third temple, this is a call to all the nations. He will dwell from Jerusalem among all his creation. Christian, do you believe today 
we are closer to the building of the temple than when you told me you thought it could happen at any time some 20 years ago. Are we closer today? Absolutely. We are very close. And, uh, you know, people ask me, um, uh, why we are, you believe that we are so close? See what happens uh, around Israel. So many enemies, wars, and, and terror, and, and now... Um, uh, from uh, Iran is, 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 you know, is another enemy of Israel preparing nuclear weapon and, and he is stating Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, that he, he prepared to destroy Israel. And all around Israel, uh, you know, uh, Islamic revolutions calling to destroy Israel. When I see all of this, I know that time is short. It was prophesied. Gershon, do you believe that in your lifetime there will be a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? No doubt about it. I, I, you know, I feel it in all my bones. I, I, I can hear in, in the air, the, the, like God is speaking to me and telling to me, Gershon, be strong, continue your campaign soon. My house will be rebuilt. Don't fear anyone, not the enemies, not the weak people inside Israel, but be strong. Go and build my temple. And I want to tell you, Jimmy, once the temple is rebuilt, the real peace will come to Israel and to all the mankind as God prophesied to us. What's next, Gershon? I understand that all the preparations have been made. Everything is ready to start to building the temple. Is the setting of the cornerstone, your cornerstones that you've brought to the Temple Mount area, often to try to put up there and start the building, is that the next thing to happen in the building of the next temple? Yeah. The first time that we um, uh, took the cornerstone, who lay on the Temple Mount, and really shocked all the Middle East and all the world, was in the year 1990. Since 1990, we tried again and again, and and we shall uh, we shall do it again shortly, and and uh, we shall try to take the cornerstone and and lay it on the corner on the Temple Mount, and start the process. What an interesting conversation with Gershon Solomon. Judy and I, my wife and I, have had the privilege of being in Gershon's home with him and his wife, Naomi, as we discussed these issues that we're talking about here on this special edition of Prophecy Today. I want to ask Gershon about the Ark of the Covenant. He had a very interesting experience. I want you to hear it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Master Control in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Jim Jr. and myself are co-hosting this broadcast. We're talking about the production, the documentary on the rebuilding of the third temple that Jimmy has just produced. It's entitled, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. In a moment, we'll tell you how you can get your copy of this brand new documentary. Jim, thanks a lot for joining me on the broadcast today. Let me just say, I feel like you did a great job on this DVD. It's a documentary that nobody has in the world. And I like the way that you took the documentary I produced 
20 years ago. Like father, like son, he's producing his video now on the preparations to build the temple. And Jim, uh, that was interesting how you put the parts together to let us look at the past but see how much they have advanced in the future. Oh, Dad, it was, uh, it's, you know, looking at the past, there were some of the interviews that we did, especially that interview that you did with Gershon Solomon. We'll never be able to replicate that as we, as you were standing up there along with Mom and the cameraman as, as you were standing up on top of the police station overlooking the Temple Mount. They said, you better save that footage. You'll never have a chance to get him up here again. So we, we wanted to throw in a, a lot of the old because uh, of the old footage because I think it really fit with what we were doing. But I think your conversation with Gershon Solomon and the Ark of the Covenant was so exciting. Gershon, talk to me, if you will, about the Ark of the Covenant. I know that you had a dear friend, Rabbi Yehuda Getz, who was able to go to the location of the Ark of the Covenant. And you had a conversation with me. It's on my documentary, Ready to Rebuild, Revisit It, the latest information about the preparations for the next temple. You talked to me about receiving a call early in the morning from Rabbi Getz and talking to you about the Ark of the Covenant. Talk yeah. to me about that. Yeah, um, it was a really an exciting uh, major moment in the um, history of, uh, of Israel. When um, And it is a long story, but I will make a long story a short one. Um, it was when um, Rabbi Getz, a great man, a great person that told me uh, always, it is enough for me to be the rabbi of the Western world. It has no meaning for me. Now I want and I should be the rabbi of the Temple Mount. So it was uh, one night uh, this year uh, when he, I, I got a call in after the middle of the night. It's come quickly. We are going to pick up the, the Ark of Covenant. Your dream is going to become a reality. So I had not even time, I was so excited, even to put my shoes on my legs, and I ran quickly um, with my car to, uh, to the tunnel that Rabbi Getz uh, cleaned, and he discovered a gate that was uh, closed, not by the original stones, the Herodic stones, and he opened this gate, and he discovered uh, the, a beautiful and exciting tunnel from uh, the second temple, and we knew it uh, through the Bible and, and other books that, um, that the Ark of Covenant is under the uh, Dome of the Rock, location of the Holy of Holies, in the end of this tunnel and in a secret room. And you, you told me that we spoke 20 years ago, and I said the temple will be soon rebuilt. What is 20 years in history of Israel in, of 4,000 years? But I tell you, um, uh, Jimmy, in 1967, when God uh, brought the Israeli forces to the Temple Mount, in 1967, his intention was in, uh, to, to immediately, in the next day, to start the building of the Temple. This great moment of building of the Temple was not counseled, uh, dear Jimmy. It just was delayed uh, for for uh, a short time. I believe that this time is coming again shortly because God is determined to build uh, uh, His temple. 
and and the, the Israelites are anointed and called to build it. And I am sure I know it, Jimmy. Time is short, and one morning we shall awake and we shall hear the temple started to be rebuilt. The Arab and Islamic uh, pagan enemy was removed from the heel of God in a great era in the life of Israel and all the nations started. See, Dad, I told you that conversation with Gershom was so exciting. And the conversation with Rabbi Chaim Richman equating the Temple Mount and the Garden of Eden, that was fantastic. Where that gold-domed building is in that vicinity stood the first temple of the second temple, and the next temple will stand there as well. And underneath that dome of the rock there is a foundational stone. You mentioned to me as well in that radio broadcast that the foundation of all of creation took place on the Temple Mount area. This Can you elaborate on that? Taught. The tradition is that the very center of the spiritual and created universe is the place of the foundation stone on the Temple Mount. It was here from which Adam was created. It was here upon which Abraham uh, bound Isaac and upon which Jacob laid his head and saw the vision of the ladder and upon which stood the Ark of the Covenant in the time of the Temple. And this is the spiritual switchboard of the whole world. Uh, according to tradition, the Temple Mount and the area of the Holy of Holies is actually also the center of the Biblical Garden of Eden. Mm. And so then Adam and Eve would have been located here in Jerusalem on that Temple Mount area, the Garden of Eden, at that time of creation. This, this equation really fits very well uh, according to Jewish teaching and tradition because the whole role that the Temple plays in the life of mankind and the spiritual fulfillment of humanity is as a means of rectifying the spiritual relationship between God and man. So this is where it all began. And then afterwards, this is where the Kohanim, who caused the influx of divine energy and radiance and blessing to come into the world, the priests serving in the Temple, this is where they deal with the whole balance between man and God and causing all of this to be perfect in its relationship. In one of our studies together, and I enjoy those so very much, you mentioned that actually Jewish tradition says the creation of Adam actually took place where the altar of the temple would be standing. Why was that? There is a teaching that since the altar in the temple atones for mankind, how fitting it is, just as the sages teach, that God always creates a cure before he creates the illness. So also man was created from the very spot which atones for him and for his descendants. Of course, there was, a, at the time when creation took place, a theocracy in this world. When man fell into sin, that was set aside. But then one day, when Messiah comes to that temple, that you and your people are preparing to build. Theocracy once again will be instituted here on this earth. You know, many people talk about the actual site of the Garden of Eden. What Chaim Richmond brought to the table was very interesting. And Dad, the conversations that you have with Rabbi Nachman Kahana on the priestly garments, that was priceless. At the Temple Institute, they have some garments that have been made, mm -hmm. and there was a picture in Roots 7 mm -hmm. of you being fitted mm -hmm. for a garment. Uh, the garments have been made for the men who... Mm -hmm. Garments have been made, fitted, and ready for, for use. You, it's you, in my closet and I'm waiting. We don't, I don't touch it, I don't take it out. When time comes, it's like when you used to go to the, the army, you used to go to reserves. Yes. I had my uniform in the house. I used to go 30 days a year. I was in the Air Force for many years. 
and uh, I, I didn't fly. I was an anti-aircraft unit. I said, if I can't fly, no one's going to fly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I had a uniform. Next one is another kind of uniform. No uniforms, right? Yes. These are we them. And uh, I'll be or won't be. If I don't wear it, my son will wear it. So the priestly garment, that it was fitted for you, yeah. hanging in your closet in your home. Yeah. Wow, the priestly garments hanging in his closet. That, that's great. What about the red heifer? Uh, there have been a lot of questions about that. Don't we need to cover that subject? Yeah, we sure do, Jim. Let me tell you that your mom and I were at Clyde Lott's home in Canton, Mississippi, when Rabbi Chaim Richmond came all the way from Israel to inspect four red heifers. That was back in November of 1997, actually November the 19th, 1997. Rabbi Richmond confirmed four perfect red heifers. Clyde Lott had bred these red heifers. What's so interesting to me is all the conversation that's going on about the red heifer. It's uh, an ordinance that was given to Moses from God in Numbers chapter 19. That would be a great study for you. But the reason it's so interesting is one day there's a red heifer, the next day there's not a red heifer. And so it's hard to cover this situation. But I can tell you this, Rabbi Chaim Richmond has a radio broadcast on Arutz 7 in Israel. And on that broadcast, he said that there was a red heifer in Jerusalem. Listen to what the rabbi had to say. What I wanted to mention is the fact that because everyone is very interested in the status of the red heifer, people speculate, people remember the excitement of when a red heifer was born, people talk about it, and the reason for that, of course, why there's such excitement every time everybody, anybody mentions a red heifer is because uh, a lot of people know that there is a Jewish tradition, it's in the Mishnah, that there were only nine red heifers throughout the entire history of um, the Jewish people. And there were nine red heifers that were, and the ashes from those red heifers were enough to accomplish the process of cleansing for all the generations of the, of the people of Israel. And there is a tradition that the tenth red heifer is the one that's associated with the rebuilding of the third temple. That's why when there's a news report about a red heifer being born, people get very, very excited. It's looked on as some sort of wake-up call or something like that. And I wanted to share with our listeners far and wide mm -hmm. the fact that there is definitely a kosher red heifer here in Israel. This right is now. really uh, breaking news. Yes, it is. This should be on a, a, a scroll on it the bottom be. of a CNN or something. It should be. It should be. We're not making a lot of noise about it. We're not. We're not taking out all sorts of ads, and we're not. Uh, certainly not disclosing the location. That's definitely not prudent, and I'm not going to be sharing it with the United States Embassy. Absolutely not. But you should know that there are definitely. In fact, I think there's more than one, but there is definitely at least one kosher red heifer here in Israel right now. So that is not what is impeding the process at all. That's from the expert himself on the red heifer, Rabbi Chaim Richmond. And he is the one who was on top of this story from the very outset. He's written an excellent book on the red heifer. We have that available at our website, prophecytoday.com. Uh, speaking of our website, you can go there to make your purchase of our brand new documentary on the preparations to build the next temple, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. It's $15, normally $25 price. But today, a special for our listeners to Prophecy Today, $15 for each and every one of the DVDs you would like to purchase. Only one time will you pay $5 for shipping and handling. 
You can go to the website, or how about calling the toll-free number? You can get it instantly that way. That's 877-674-3298. Jot that number down, 877-674-3298. Jim, just before I take a look at the book and bring this all together, this broadcast, thinking about a Jewish temple in the city of Jerusalem, I want everybody to hear the conversation that I had with Rabbi Nachman Kahana. It was in his yeshiva, a place of learning for Jewish young men, that all of this activity began in preparations to build the next temple. I was there just the other day, and I asked him a question about when did he think the temple would be built. In fact, I said, Rabbi, do you believe it will be built in your lifetime? Here's what he had to say. I, I think I, I feel I'm going to see the temple Things are going to happen so quickly. See, God works in lurches, and and then there's time spans of nothing happening, and there's a lurch of history. Mm-hmm. We're like in the doldrums now a little bit, but we all feel, at least in Israel, that we're on the seam of history, something's happened. It's not a stable world. No world. Something's going to happen. It can't, it can't last much longer as it is today with the economic turmoil and and the social, political turmoil in the world, and religious turmoil, and with the movement of Islam all over the world. Something's happening, and one half is going to happen very quickly, and very dramatic. And I, I have a feeling inside that I think I'll be around to say Dad, thanks a lot for letting me help you host the program today. It was a true honor. Well, it was an honor to have you, buddy. Thank you so much for helping me. And by the way, thank you for a great job you did on the production of our latest documentary on preparations to build the next temple in Jerusalem. It's called Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. You can get yours at a special price, normally at $25 each video. But indeed, today, for all of our listeners listening to Prophecy Today weekend, it's only $15 for each and every one of the Ready to Rebuild Revisited that you would like to purchase. Maybe these would be great for a Christmas gift. Call the toll-free number, 877-674-3298. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll bring it all together as we take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877 674 Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. 
Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, a Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, a Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On this special edition of Prophecy Today Weekend, we talked with some very interesting personalities all involved in preparing to build the next temple in Jerusalem. This special edition, A Jewish Temple in Jerusalem, was enhanced by these conversations. For example, we talked with Rabbi Yehuda Glick. He is the former director of the Temple Institute, and they're the major players, putting everything together, developing the implements that must be used in the temple, training the priest, everything that is needed to put the next temple up on the Temple Mount. Winky Madad, he comes from a political journalistic background, and he brought to our attention the Israeli government is not interested in a temple on the Temple Mount in Israel, in Jerusalem, because that would cause a conflict to unfold in the Middle East. Rabbi Yoel Karen said they're building Herod's temple right now, but indeed in the future they will build Ezekiel's temple. That's Ezekiel chapters 40 to 46. 202 verses detailed information about that next temple. Gershon Solomon, head of the Temple Mount Faithful, talked about having the cornerstones ready to put up on the Temple Mount and start construction. But he also brought to our attention his account of where the Ark of the Covenant is located and how he went to that site. Hiam Richmond is a rabbi. He's the expert on the red heifer. We talked with him about the red heifer. But he brought to our attention the Temple Mount is the original site of the Garden of Eden, and key to understanding that's why the temple must be there. And then, of course, Rabbi Nachman Kahana, he's the man who, in his yeshiva, started all the study in preparation to build the next temple. From God's Word, he gave these students who began to start preparing everything all the needed information that God wants them to know about this next temple. By the way, he said that he has his priestly garment. It's hanging in his closet, ready for him to put on, and then he will report for duty on the Temple Mount. He told me that he believes the temple will be built indeed in his lifetime. You need to listen to these conversations. In fact, you need to listen to the entire program. It's available at PTRN. That's located at prophecytoday.com. Prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Radio when you want it, at your convenience, when you can listen. And listen to the entire program, a special edition of Prophecy Today Weekend, a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Will there indeed be a future Jewish temple in Jerusalem? Well, the answer is yes, and here is why. God has promised that is the case. God promised King David that there will be a temple in Jerusalem. That's the Davidic covenant, Second Samuel chapter 7. In fact, King David's son Solomon built that temple. 
He did that 3,000 years ago. It's recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar came along. He was the leader of the Babylonian Empire. He destroyed that first temple, as recorded in Second Chronicles 36. But then, 70 years later, Zerubbabel, under the direction of Cyrus, who was the head of the Medo-Persian Empire, prophesied 150 years before he appeared on the scene, he allowed Zerubbabel and about 50,000 Jews to return to Jerusalem to build the second temple. That's Ezra chapters 1 to 6. Herod the Great made that temple majestic. 46 years, John 2 tells us that that was the case. But in 70 A.D., as Jesus Christ had given a testimony and a prophecy of the fact it would happen, General Titus destroyed the temple and dispersed the Jews to the four corners of the earth. When you look at Bible prophecy, a part of that promise from God is that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will return to Jerusalem and he will build the millennial temple, the Messiah's temple. That's recorded and given to us in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Verse 13 says he will rule and reign from that temple forever. By the way, a description of that temple is that Ezekiel passage, chapters 40 to 46, 202 detailed chapters and information about that temple. But before Messiah's temple, there will be a tribulation temple. That brings to our attention Satan's provision. In the Bible, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, the prophet tells us that the Antichrist will come to power and he will allow for the building of a temple where the abomination of desolation will take place. He will cause the sacrifice to cease. Jesus Christ confirmed that, Matthew 24, 15, when he said, that if you see the abomination of desolation prophesied by the prophet Daniel, flee, get out of town, head for the protection in Petra. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, the apostle Paul says, The abomination of desolation will be when the Antichrist walks into the Holy of Holies on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem and claims to be God. And remember, John the Revelator said that he was told to measure the spot for a temple, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. The scenario works out after the coalition of nations attack the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Most likely there's going to be a stray scud in that battle that will destroy that Dome of the Rock. That would be, of course, the temple that was there and uh, the location of where the temples were to stand. And the Antichrist will tell the Jewish people they can put their temple up on the holy mountain of God between the seas. That's Daniel chapter 11 and verse 45. Well, that will be the beginning of the tribulation temple, which is an absolute. It's going to be on the temple mount. And man's preparations have given us the indication that everything is ready. In my latest documentary on the rebuilding of the third temple, Ready to Rebuild, to Revisited, you'll be able to get the information that you'll need to have as it relates to how man is prepared for that temple to go up. For example, all the priests, 28,000 of them, have prepared to operate that temple. Their garments are made. All the implements that you'll need, like the Mizrach, which carries the blood from the sacrificed animals to the altar. All the furniture, the table of showbread, the, uh, the menorah, uh, the location where they burn the incense, the, the altar of incense. The harps have been made, 4,000 of them. The Ark of the Covenant, they know where it is, according to the Scriptures. Second Chronicles 35.3, it's underneath the Dome of the Rock in a secret location. They even have the red heifers. Listen, everything is ready to build that temple on the Temple Mount, which is the original site 
of the Garden of Eden. There's only one thing that must take place. You see, God promised there would be a temple. Satan, he gives provision for the tribulation temple. But the temple that Jesus Christ will build, it'll be built in the kingdom period. However, seven years before he builds that temple in the kingdom period, there's going to be an event that will set the stage and start everything in preparations to build that tribulation temple. It's called the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds. We're caught up to be with him in the air. By the way, that rapture can happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.